Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. Hey, Golden Age fans. It is December 9th, 2007, and this is the 54th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. This is Bill Jordan, your host, and I'm very glad you're here. Happy holidays, everybody. Thought it was time to get back in here and get another podcast done after a little bit of a delay from the last uh, episodes that we did live from the Heroes show in Charlotte, North Carolina. In the interim, I appreciate all the emails and other communications I've received from everybody asking about the show and asking about the Golden Age of Comic Books. I am alive and well. I've just been real busy, but I'm glad to get back in here and get another show done for you. So I hope everybody has had a great time in between our last show and this show, reading Golden Age comic book material. A lot of reprints have come out, and a lot of other good information has come out about the Golden Age of comic books. So Let's jump right on in and start out with some uh, information about reprint material that has come out since the last time we did a Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. Now, I imagine that uh, Chris over at the Collected Comics Library has probably covered all of these materials uh, on his show since they've come out, but I thought I'd sort of do a roundup of the uh, various Golden Age reprint materials that at least I'm aware of since the last episode, and there have been quite a few. I'm, I'm glad to see that DC and Marvel and others have been making a concerted effort to reprint so many Golden Age uh, materials over uh, the last six months, and it looks like they're going to continue doing so on into the future. So let's talk about some of those that I've gotten and that I'm excited about since the last time we were together. First of all, I was real interested in a book that DC published called The JSA All-Stars Archives Volume 1. This book is sort of a compilation from various Golden Age titles detailing the early adventures of some of the members of the JSA who have not otherwise had their stories reprinted thus far in the other archive editions. So let's talk for a few minutes about what you're going to find in that particular issue. I wasn't surprised to see that Roy Thomas did the forward in this book. Uh, Roy is such a big fan of the JSA and the Golden Age, I was glad to see that he jumped in and did a forward to this book. So let's talk about what you're going to find here. First of all, you're going to find the very earliest stories of Johnny Thunder that appeared in Flash Comics number one. That was the January 1940 issue, all the way through Flash Comics number five. That was the May 1940 issue. And then uh, the, the book moves into the earliest adventures of The Hour Man, which started in the March 1940 issue of Adventure Comics. That was issue number 48. This book reprints The Hour Man stories that appeared all the way through issue number 52. That was July, the uh, July 1940 issue. And then the book moves into the earliest adventures of The Mighty Adam the Atom first appeared in All-American Comics number 19. That was the October 1940 issue. And this book reprints the adventures moving all the way through um, issue number 23 of All-American Comics. That was the February 1941 issue. And then after the adventures of the Atom, we get to see some of the humorous adventures of the Red Tornado. Uh, the Red Tornado made her first appearance in All-American Comics number 20. That was the November 1940 issue. And this particular archive book reprints the Red Tornado stories that appear all the way through All-American Comics number 24. 
That was the March 1941 issue. And then we get to learn about the origin and the beginnings of Dr. Midnight. He first appeared in All-American Comics number 25. That was the April 1941 issue. And this book reprints the Dr. Midnight stories that ran in All-American Comics through issue number 29. That was the August 1941 issue. Well, after the somewhat interesting uh, stories of Dr. Midnight, we then get to read about Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific made his first appearance in Sensation Comics number 1. That was the January 1942 issue. And this book reprints his stories all the way through issue number 5 of Sensation, the May 1942 issue. Last but not least, we get to learn about none other than the Wildcat. If you remember, in uh, one of our last two episodes of the Golden Age of Comet Books, we spent a lot of time talking about the Golden Age Wildcat. Well, his first appearance and several other appearances appear starting in this book on page 203, the story of the origin of the Wildcat from January 1942 in Sensation Comics number 1, and all the way through issue number 5 of, Sen- of Sensation, that was the May 1942 issue, and that is the conclusion of this book. So, for uh, a cover price of $59.99 U.S., you can pick up uh, some of the earliest adventures of the characters that I mentioned who were also figured prominently in the adventures of the JSA, as have been reprinted in the All-Star Comics archives uh, that have been completed by DC. But you can read a lot of their solo adventures that appeared in other books uh, at the same time, and in some cases previous to their appearances in the pages of All-Star Comics. So check that out. I know it's been discounted in a lot of places, and I think you'll enjoy reading those early adventures of those very well-known JSA characters. Now, that's not all from DC. Recently, DC has printed the seventh volume of the Batman Archives, and I believe the Batman Archives was uh, one of the very first archive series that was begun by DC a long, long time ago. And uh, in uh, the Batman Archives, Volume 7, you will find all of the Batman stories from Detective Comics numbers 136 through 154. You're really getting into uh, the very end of the Golden Age Detective comic stories with the Batman in this particular volume. And of course, uh, you'll find in here uh, one of the classic uh, late Golden Age uh, stories uh, in Detective Comics number 140, where you'll find the origin and first appearance of the Riddler. And I think you'll find that story very enjoyable. So if you're interested in reading some of the the, uh, later Batman and Robin adventures from Detective Comics, check out the Batman Archives volume number 7. This book has a cover price of $49.99 U.S., and again, I'm sure it can be found uh, discounted in a lot of different places. But it's interesting that uh, DC has moved along uh, in printing all of the Batman stories and Batman and Robin stories from Detective Comics now all the way from the first appearance of Batman in Detective Comics number 27 all the way through Detective Comics number 154. So, You get a really good glimpse of the Batman character and how he developed and how Robin developed in the pages of the Batman archives, uh, moving on into the late Golden Age, and uh, pretty soon these stories will get up to the point uh, where they reach uh, the Silver Age, I would say, uh, four or five more volumes. Now, I'm not sure how many uh, more volumes of the Batman archives DC is planning to to print, uh, might be... uh, 
interested to hear from Chris or others who might know this information, but I'll be real curious to see if they go uh, all the way into the 1960s with these reprints, but we'll just have to wait and see about that. But for now, you'll find a very complete uh, uh, reference of all of the Detective Comics Batman stories in this particular archive series. And of course, if we have uh, mentioned before, DC continues to publish the Chronicles series. Uh, as far as I know, they have only done the Superman Chronicles and the Batman Chronicles, which is a much more affordable way to read the earliest adventures of Batman and Superman. Since our last show, DC has put out another volume of the Batman Chronicles. That's volume number four. This can be found for a cover price of $14.99 US. As I said, a lot more affordable. This is in uh, trade paperback format. So uh, it's, uh, you know, of course, uh, not w as well done as the archives. The paper's not as nice. But it certainly gives you an affordable way to read the earliest adventures of these characters. The uh, Batman Chronicles Volume 4 reprints the stories from Detective Comics 51 through 56. Those are the Batman stories only, of course. The stories from Batman number 6 and 7, and the stories from World's Finest Comics numbers 2 and 3. Of course, World's Finest Comics number 3 had the origin and first appearance of the Scarecrow, so you might want to check that out. As we've talked about before, the Chronicles series is somewhat different than the Archive series. In addition to being cheaper to purchase, it also reprints these stories in chronological order. So you'll find Batman Detective and World's Finest Comics stories all mixed in for that particular character. Now, in addition to the Batman Chronicles issue number four, since our last show, DC has also published its third volume of the Superman Chronicles, in this issue, you'll find the Superman stories from Action Comics 21 through 25, Superman 3 and 4, and New York World's Fair 1940. I am assuming that in the next volume of the Superman Chronicles, which will be volume 4, you'll begin to see the stories not only from Action and Superman, but also from uh, World's Best and then World's Finest Comics. So, Look out for that. Uh, I think if you're looking for an affordable way to read the very earliest Golden Age adventures of Batman and Superman, the Chronicles are certainly the way to go. Now, not to be completely uh, surpassed by DC, Marvel has, al has also uh, jumped into the fray and has continued to publish some of their Golden Age masterwork books. Since our last show, I picked up a copy of the Submariner Golden Age Masterworks Volume Number Two. This reprints the Submariner stories from Submariner Comics numbers five through eight. So check that out if you're a fan of the Golden Age Submariner. I know that there are also plans that uh, Marvel has to continue to reprint in Masterworks format the Submariner, Human Torch, Captain America, and other stories. They've also um, published since my last show. Uh, the Atlas Era Strange Tales uh, Masterworks. This reprints the stories from Strange Tales 1 through 10. Uh, pretty interesting book. I haven't read it all at this point in time, but it's a, a little bit more offbeat than what you would expect. It's certainly not the superhero stories from the Golden Age, but it gives you a really, really good glimpse of the Atlas work that was done uh, between the Golden Age and the uh, introduction of Marvel Silver Age with Fantastic Four. 
number one. So check that out if you're interested in reading some of the uh, uh, the early strange ta- strange tales stories with art by Joe Manley, John Romita, Gene Colan, and many many others. So check that out. I think you'll find it uh, very enjoyable as well. Now. In addition to the Masterworks volume, and because of the upcoming uh, series that's going to be done called The Twelve by Struzinski and Weston, Marvel, just this past week, has published The Twelve Number Zero. Uh, This is a precursor to The Twelve Number One, which will contain new material, reinventing some of the more obscure Marvel Golden Age characters, And in this uh, issue number zero that just came out, you'll find reprinted some of the Golden Age stories from Daring Mystery Comics, which was the companion book, more or less, to Marvel Mystery. Certainly not as popular, and the characters were not as popular as Captain America, Submariner, and Human Torch, but uh, they were uh, published by Marvel. And uh, you'll find several of the Golden Age stories from Daring Mystery reprinted in this uh, issue of the 12, number zero. So check that out and look out for the new series that's going to be published starting, I assume, uh, very soon. And I also uh, noticed recently that Marvel has solicited a Masterworks volume during Mystery Comics Volume 1. It should be in the stores at the end of January, and it will also reprint all of the earliest stories from Daring Mystery Comics uh, from the 1940s. So if you like what you see in the 12 number zero, Check out During Mystery, Golden Age Masterworks, Volume 1, at the end of January, and I think you'll uh, find many more of those stories reprinted therein. I also noticed in the most recent issue of the Marvel previews that Marvel is going to publish a second volume of its Atlas Era Heroes. That'll be Atlas Era Heroes, Volume 2. It'll contain the stories of the Captain America, uh, the Submariner, and the Human Torch, from Men's Adventures 27 and 28, Captain America 76 through 78, and The Human Torch 36 through 38. Those are all the revival stories of those characters that came out in the mid-50s, and uh, a lot of folks don't believe them to be in continuity with the Golden Age characters. But nevertheless, uh, it was an attempt by Marvel to revive those characters in the mid-50s. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Marvel at that time, and those characters were put back on the shelf for quite a while until they were ultimately revo- uh, uh, brought back uh, in the uh, 1960s in the pages of the popular Marvel superhero books. I thought it was interesting in the solicitation for the Marvel Masterworks Atlas Era Heroes Volume 2 that they also indicate that they're going to reprint stories from Marvel Superheroes number 16, That's a series that came out, of course, that I've talked about before that reprinted a number of Golden Age, Human Torch, Captain America, Submariner, Black Knight, Patriot, and other Marvel characters' stories. So I'll be interested to see why and and how they're going to reprint the Marvel Superheroes number 16 book in this Atlas-era Heroes volume. I'm not really sure how or why they're doing that, but uh, I thought that was interesting to see that in this solicitation. In any event, some of those... uh, Stories that you'll find from Men's Adventures, Captain America, and Human Torch from the mid-50s. They're real propaganda stories dealing with uh, communism at the time and the perception of communists and the Red Scare and all that at the time. So check that out if you're interested in what was going on in the mind of the comic-reading public at the time. I think you'll find it real interesting. (laughs) 
All right, well, what are we going to cover as our main topic on the Golden Age of Comic Books for this installment? You know, normally this time of year I do a show devoted to Christmas covers or Christmas stories. I've done that the last two years. Hard to believe I've been doing these shows for a couple of years, although there have been a lot of gaps in between them. But I, I'm not going to cover uh, any Christmas-related themes this year, uh, simply because I had some other material that I wanted to talk about. And that material is on Mary Marvel. As we have seen in the Countdown series from DC, Mary Marvel has had a very uh, uh, upfront role in a lot of those stories. And I thought I would talk about Mary Marvel and her origins and the pages of the various Fawcett comic publications in which she appeared during the Golden Age of Comics. So let's jump right in and talk about Mary Marvel. Mary Marvel made her very first appearance in the pages of Captain Marvel Adventures number 18. That was the December 1942 issue. Well, I guess that's not a Christmas story, but it certainly is a December book, so at least that's appropriate. And uh, her origin was told in that story, and it was drawn by Marcus Swayze, and it was written by the great Otto Binder. So let's talk about the origin story of Mary Marvel, and then after that we'll talk about where she appeared in comics during the Golden Age and uh, thereafter. As I mentioned, she first appeared along with Captain Marvel in the pages of one of his books, Captain Marvel Adventures, and also in this story you'll find appearing with Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr. So you had the whole Marvel family as it existed at that time together for this story and the introduction of Mary Marvel in 1942. Now the story begins with Billy Batson really almost spoiling the surprise of Mary Marvel in this story and he starts out the story in the very first splash panel telling us folks here's a big surprise meet my sister Mary. You didn't know I had a sister did you? Well neither did I. I had always thought I was an orphan without a relative in the world but needless to say I'm happy and proud to find I have a sister. Here she is, and I sure hope you like her as much as I do. This is the story of how I found her. Now, as the story begins, Billy Batson is at radio station WHIZ with his boss, Mr. Morris, and they're greeting three kids who are coming in to compete in a educational quiz program on the station. The first is a kid named Percy Pill, who is uh, kind of a snobby uh, overachiever. The next is a beautiful uh, young woman named Mary Bromfield who is there to represent, as she says, the girls. And then finally uh, in comes Freddie Freeman who says he is there to represent all poor children. Of course we know that Freddie Freeman is really Captain Marvel Jr. And so the show begins with Billy Batson moderating and they call the show the Mental Marvel Quiz Kids. And of course there's a live audience and everybody cheers and as they go through uh, the questions and answers, uh, the, the kids are obviously very intelligent and uh, they're doing quite well in this particular quiz. And as the quiz progresses, Billy Batson notices that um, Mary Bromfield, as she is sitting at the desk answering questions, not only is she intelligent, but she's wearing an odd locket that's broken in half. And then as uh, there is a commercial break to the show and the announcer is going through all of the uh, five minutes of commercials, uh, 
Billy Babson receives a mysterious note. Dear Billy Babson, I am dying. Please come and see me. This is most urgent. And it's signed by Sarah Prim at 14 Elm Street. So Billy begins racing out of the station, and Mr. Morris grabs him and says, Where are you going? We're in the middle of a show. And Billy says, I have five minutes, and I'll be back. Of course, he changes into Captain Marvel by saying the magic word Shazam, and he flies to 14 Elm Street, changes back into Billy Batson, and goes into a, a decrepit old room in this building and finds uh, an elderly woman lying on her deathbed. And she says to him, I called for you, Billy Batson, rather than a doctor, because my hour has come. And I have a story. I must tell you about your parents. And he says, but my parents are dead. I'm an orphan. And she says, true, your parents are dead, but your sister isn't. Kind of sounds like uh, Star Wars, doesn't it? And then Billy says, what, a sister? And this woman tells Billy, this woman named Sarah Prim, that... Billy, in fact, was a twin and that he had a twin sister. And she says, in fact, a twin sister. I was your nurse when your parents died. I took you both to my home before applying to an orphanage. But I was also a nurse for a rich lady whose baby daughter suddenly died. And she explained that she could not tell the other woman that her baby died. So before taking both of the children, Billy and Mary, to the orphanage, she apparently not sure what she did uh, with the poor dead child, but she swapped the dead child with Mary, and she took Billy to the orphanage. And Billy asked her, who raised my twin sister? Where is she now? How will I know her? And this old woman hands something to Billy and says, you'll know her by this broken locket. She wears the other half. She was raised by a wealthy lady named, and before she could name the woman, she died. And as she died, Billy exclaims, she's given me the greatest news of my life. I've got a twin sister, and I'll find her somehow with this locket. Of course, at this point, he hasn't figured it out. And then he realizes uh, his five minutes are up. It's amazing that all of this happened in five minutes. And he changes back to Captain Marvel, flies back to the radio station in time to complete the quiz show, and as the show is over and Mary Bromfield has answered the last question, uh, uh, Billy walks out with her to her limousine where a chauffeur is escorting her uh, also into the car. And he says, boy, she must really have rich parents. And he said, sigh, gosh, why couldn't she be my sister? And this is overheard by Freddie. And he says, what? What are you talking about? You have a sister? And then somehow it all comes to... Uh, to Billy and he realizes that she was wearing, Mary was wearing the broken locket and he and Freddie change into their identities of Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and decide to fly to Mary Bromfield's house to confront her to see if perhaps she really is Billy's sister. Of course as these stories go uh, something untoward occurs and as they approach her home uh, the chauffeur who had previously been helping Mary into the limousine is yelling, help, kidnappers! And they realize that Mary has been kidnapped. And the scene changes to Mary uh, at the house of the kidnappers. And, of course, uh, Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. bust in and make short work of the kidnappers. And while the kidnappers are unconscious on the floor, uh, Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr., in talking to Mary, revealed to her that 
the locket that she's holding and the locket that Captain Marvel is holding are a matching pair. And Captain Marvel says to her that Billy Batson is your brother, and he changes into Billy to show her that not only uh, is uh, he her brother, but he's also Captain Marvel, and she has now learned his secret identity. And then, uh, of course, Captain Marvel Jr. changes back into Freddy to share his secret with her as well. And as the three of them are standing talking, as uh, things go, they weren't paying attention to the kidnappers who are now no longer unconscious, and they quickly jump up and they subdue Billy and Freddy and, and of course, put uh, uh, gags over their mouths so that they cannot speak the magical words to change them into their superhero alter egos. And as this is happening, Mary exclaims, Billy, Freddy, speak your magic words. Oh, they can't. They're gagged. Billy can't say, and she says the word Shazam. And, of course, as Mary speaks the word Shazam, lightning crashes out of the sky and changes her into a superhero uh, female form of Captain Marvel. And, of course, the kidnappers are astounded. Uh, Mary realizes that she now has the power of Captain Marvel, and she makes very, very quick work of the kidnappers, again, knocking them all unconscious. Uh, she unties Billy and Freddy, and they all change into the uh, superhero identities determined to go visit the wizard Shazam to try to figure out just what in the heck's going on here and how, as Billy put it, uh, a girl could actually get these superhero powers. And so they fly to the secret tunnel where the wizard Shazam, Shazam uh, is with all of the seven deadly enemies of man uh, lined up in the tunnel, as many of you have seen if you've read these comics before. And Shazam explains to Billy and Mary and Freddy that, I know all things, Billy, and I knew that someday you would be reunited with Mary. It was written, so I let it come to pass without hurrying the happy moment. And you also want to know how Mary came to have the same Shazam powers as you, Billy, though she is a girl. Look at this chart. Mary derives her powers from a different group of old friends, than you, Billy, as you see, but it still adds up to my name, Shazam. And written there on the wall on a scroll are the names of the goddesses whom Mary has acquired her powers from. And they are Selena for grace, Hippolyta for strength, Adriani for skill, Zephyrus for fleetness, Aurora for beauty, and Minerva for wisdom. And then the wizard Shazam says, Go now, my child, fight evil and wrong in the world as your brother and Freddy do. My spirit is always with you. And she thanks him, and they go off into the world as Captain Marvel and as Captain Marvel Jr. and as, well, a female superhero with no name at that point. And as they're flying off into the sky, Billy says in his guise as Captain Marvel, you're my sister as well as Billy's, so your name in this form is Mary Marvel. And she says, Mary Marvel, why I love it. And, of course, Captain Marvel Jr. says, welcome to the Marvel family. And then they fly off into history in, uh, of course, their guises as Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and the brand new addition to the Marvel family, Mary Marvel. 
All right. Well, while I was talking to y'all about Mary Marvel, I got joined by a female superhero in her own right, my daughter Emily. Say hi, Emily. Hi. Do you like Mary Marvel? Yes, I do. She's a pretty cool superhero, isn't she? Yes. Kind of like Supergirl and all the other superheroes that are that are girls. You like those girl superheroes? Mm-hmm. Do you like superheroes generally? Yes. Yeah. You Have you read a lot of these comic books? Not a lot, but you've read some of them, haven't you? I've read a few. Yeah, but they're kind of cool, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Your big brother Will's read more than you have, though, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, and he's been on the show, too, so now you can say you've been on the show with me. All right? All right. Well, thank you for listening. Do you like Mary Marvel? Yes. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to talk now a little bit about um, where Mary Marvel appeared in some other comic books. So just sit back and listen, and we'll talk about that, okay? Okay. All right. Now, Mary Marvel uh, didn't just appear in the pages of Captain Marvel Adventures. She also appeared uh, in the pages of several other Fawcett titles. Now, her appearances in Captain Marvel Adventures were sporadic and merely crossovers, so there weren't a lot of appearances there. But shortly after she appeared in, um, in Captain Marvel Adventures, she took over as the title character in Fawcett's comic that was called Wow Comics. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Yep. All right. With Wow Comics number nine, that was the January 1943 issue, she took that title role and the cover appearances of Wow Comics, and she appeared in Wow Comics all the way until um, issue number... 58, that was the September 1947 issue. At that time, WOW took on more of a uh, humor role, and the covers became humor covers with number 59. And then uh, WOW changed into a book called Real Western Hero, uh, and that title continued all the way through issue number 112. That was the March 1952 issue. But Mary Marvel's last appearance in that book was in number 58. Of course, she also had a starring role in the Marvel Family book. That book first appeared in December of 1945, and she appeared in number one. And all the way uh, through number 89, that was the last issue of Marvel Family. That was the January 1945 issue. Interestingly, her origin was retold in issue number one. Now, Mary Marvel also got her own title in addition to her appearances in WOW and in Marvel Family. And in December of 1945, Fawcett published Mary Marvel Comics number one. That title lasted until issue number 28. That was the September 1948 issue. Interestingly, the cover of issue number 40, uh, I'm sorry, number 28 of Mary Marvel was a Western cover. Mary Marvel was in her cowgirl outfit getting ready to ride a horse out West. You like riding horses, don't you, Emily? Yes, I do. All right. Well, that was sort of the, uh, uh, the, the forebearer of things to come because with um, uh, issue number uh, 29, the um, Mary Marvel title actually became a book called Monty Hale Western, and it became that title. And Mary Marvel was no more, and then through issue number 88, um, which was the January 1956 issue, the last issue of Monty Hale Western, Monty Hale, the Western star, was the star and sole proprietor of that title. Now, uh, Mary Marvel's very last appearance in the Golden Age of Comic Books was in Marvel Family number 89, as I mentioned. That was the January 
1954 issue. And after that, of course, as we've talked about before, DC Comics and Fawcett Comics uh, had resolved their lawsuit to where DC purchased the rights to all of the Marvel characters. They decided not to publish those titles any longer. Fawcett um, uh, was no more, and neither was Mary Marvel or the other members of the Marvel family until DC revived these characters in 1973. Now, if you want to read uh, a reprint of the very first Mary Marvel story that appeared in Captain Marvel Adventures number 18, the only place that I know where you can go to read this story is in the pages of Shazam from the 30s to the 70s that was published in 1977. This book, of course, is out of print, and honestly, uh, when I've seen it for sale at shows or at eBay or other places, it does have kind of a hefty price tag, but it can be found, and if you're interested in reading the very first Mary Marvel story, you can check that out. Now, some of you may know of another reprint source for the first appearance of Mary Marvel, and if you do, please let me know, and I'll make sure that I talk about that uh, in one of the upcoming episodes or on the blog page. So now you know the story of Mary Marvel and her origins in the golden age of comic books. Pretty cool, huh, Em? Yes. And uh, you're going to sit down and read some Mary Marvel stories now, aren't you? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, I, I don't know if that's a uh, real glowing recommendation, but we're going to do it nevertheless. Well, thanks, uh, Emily, for joining us on the show and for learning about Mary Marvel with us. Maybe we'll get you on here again, okay? Okay. And I hope each of you enjoyed learning about Mary Marvel and her origins in the golden age of comic books. Well, before we close out the show for this edition of the Golden Age of Comic Books, there was one more female superhero I wanted to mention, and that is the invisible Scarlett O'Neill. My friend Mike Gordon, who uh, has been on the blog page with us and who I have seen at some of the Atlanta comic book shows uh, from time to time, provided me with a copy of the book called The Untold Origins of the Invisible Scarlet O'Neill. This book was put together uh, by uh, Mike uh, and Atlantis Studios at atlantastudios.net. Um, it was um, published by Russell A. Stamm Jr. His father, Russell Stamm, created The Invisible Scarlet O'Neill uh, way back in the uh, early 1940s. And uh, this book that was provided to me by, by Mike, uh, it's not a comic per se. It's really uh, just a, a comic book uh, type book, but it contains uh, a text piece about the, uh, the origins and uh, all of the pertinent information about the invisible Scarlett O'Neill, who was more than likely one of the very first female superheroes uh, to appear in newspaper strips. And then, of course, those newspaper strips were reprinted in the comics. So if you're interested in learning about this superhero, the invisible Scarlett O'Neill, probably the very first invisible female superhero long before Sue Storm and others uh, that we've seen, uh, check this out. Uh, I'm not 100% sure where to get a copy. Hopefully Mike will get on the blog page and tell us more about this. Um, uh, you can go to atlantisstudios.net, maybe find out more about it there. Uh, there's an, an email address uh, in the book, scarletoneal at vectormedia.com. That's S-C-A-R-L-E-T-O-N-E-I-L at V-E-C-T-O-R-M-E-D-I-A.com. So check that out. Uh, it's a really uh, neat story about this uh, superhero. She appeared uh, really starting in uh, 
1940, I guess, all the way through the 50s. And uh, there's some strips reprinted in here and whatnot. What's interesting about this character, to me, in talking about the golden age of comic books, is that um, if you remember, I've talked about the the comic Famous Funnies a long time ago, the earliest uh, comic book out there, one of the earliest. Scarlett O'Neill appears on the cover for the first time of Famous Funnies number 81. That was the April 1941 issue of Famous Funnies. And that was the very first non-humor cover on Famous Funnies, that Scarlett O'Neill cover. So I thought that was interesting in the history of the Golden Age where the first non-humor cover on Famous Funnies was the invisible Scarlett O'Neill by Russ Stamm. Also, uh, Scarlett appeared on a number of other uh, Famous Funnies covers throughout the course of the Golden Age of comic books, uh, some of them pretty good covers. So check this out. I understand from reading this book that uh, Russ Stamm Jr. is in the process of creating a modern Scarlett O'Neill graphic novel. The back cover of this book says it will be coming soon, although I don't see any publication date uh, with respect to that graphic novel, although uh, the last few pages of this book reprint what will be the uh, the beginnings of the graphic novel. Uh, so check that out. It looks like the story is by Russ Stam Jr., Pencils and Inks by Alessandro Baroni, and uh, looks to be uh, possibly a pretty good uh, modern treatment of this Golden Age character. So if you're interested in learning about uh, a different female Golden Age superhero, check out the Invisible Scarlett O'Neill. Now, I mentioned earlier that I really didn't have a Christmas theme for this show. Normally, the shows I do in December, close to the Christmas holiday, I, I talk about Christmas covers or Christmas stories or that kind of thing. And as I was looking uh, over some of the covers of Famous Funnies in my Gerber Photo Journal, I realized that uh, the very first Christmas cover ever to appear on a comic book uh, was, in fact, in Famous Funnies. So, uh, my Scarlett O'Neill research led me to a little tiny bit of a Christmas story, and I'll close the show with that today. And that is the very first Christmas cover appeared on the cover of Famous Funnies number 5. That was the December 1934 issue of Famous Funnies, a full uh, four years before Superman made his first appearance in Action Comics. So uh, if you want to look at the very earliest cover of uh, a, a Christmas cover of a comic, check that out. You can go to the Grand Comic Book Database Project website at comics.org and you can see a copy of the cover of Famous Funnies number five, the very first Christmas cover on a comic book. And uh, with that, we're going to close the show for the 54th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books. I appreciate everyone's patience while I've been away from the show for a while. I hope you've enjoyed the show uh, for uh, this week and this month and maybe for a couple of months. I hope not. But uh, thanks to everybody who uh, emailed me and asked me where I was and what was going on with the show. Please drop me an email at goldenagecomics at gmail.com. I love all the emails I do get about the golden age of comic books. Uh, it is my hobby and one of my passions to explore the golden age of comics. So I love talking to folks by email about this particular sector of the comic book collecting hobby. Don't forget to stop by our blog page or our webpage, goldenagecomics.org. That'll take you to our blog page where I have my show notes and other information about what we've talked about this week on the Golden Age of Comic Books. And of course, the uh, Comic Space page is still active, and I have on the Comic Space page all of the listings of the shows with hyperlinks to uh, the downloads for the shows. 
And last but not least, don't forget the forum over at the Comic Geek Speak website. Uh, the Golden Age of Comic Book Podcast Forum is the first and foremost place to go to discuss the content of this episode and other episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books. Most everybody who's interested in the show has been there at one time or another, and I do appreciate all the posts uh, that get left on there about the show and generally about the Golden Age of Comic Books. So, for those of you uh, who celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas, and for the rest of you, Happy Holidays, and I hope uh, to talk to you again very, very soon about the Golden Age of Comic Books. <laughs>